0: Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is a Dear Andy show. So we got your questions. We'll actually start with some of your questions because I got peppered with some of these on Wednesday as the afternoon wore on. And it was one of those deals where I thought, oh boy, this is this is gaining steam. I need to answer these questions on the show, but I'm gonna have to talk to somebody first. Uh, I got several questions. I, we could put up all the questions, but I, I got it multiple times. What is the deal with this Kirk Herbstreet Dylan Riola thing? And so let's let's start with that. So we all know who Kirk Herbstreet is. ESPN College Game Day. Dylan Riola is the quarterback who just signed with Nebraska, the the very highly rated quarterback who just signed with Nebraska, flipped from Georgia. Before that, flipped from Ohio State to Georgia. So here's what happened. Let's start with some background. The background is that adam gorney who, who is a reporter at rivals.com is interviewing dominic Riola, who is dylan's father dominic Riola, all-time great offensive lineman at nebraska played for a long time in the nfl uh it's it gets a little confusing. dominic is dylan's dad donovan is dominic's brother who also happens to be the nebraska offensive line coach right now but so Dominic Raiola, who is the father of Dylan, is talking to Adam Corney, and they're talking about the decision-making process and, and what led Dylan to to eventually sign with Nebraska, and Dominic brings up Kirk Herbstreit, and this is what, what he said in the video. He said, when he when he saw the smoke about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, call me, Dominic Raiola said of Street, Dude, is this true? He got to do it. He got to do it. This is Dom Raiola quoting Kirk Herbstreit. His affinity, for, and this is now Dom Riola talking again, his affinity for Nebraska for a guy like that to tell me and get behind me, look, I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of the change of that place. So that is what Dom Riola said. And this enraged a lot of Georgia fans who were like, how could Kirk Street tell Dylan Riola where to go to school? How could he say to flip away from our school? That's not what happened when i saw this interview my thought was there's probably another side to this there's probably some context missing from this so i called kirk Curb street and i talked to him on wednesday night and he didn't want to come on the show because he doesn't really want to make this any bigger than it already is uh, he got you know, he got talked about on Feinbaum on wednesday and fine bombs like this is this is kind of a bad look but Kirk had not really had a chance to, to give his side of the story. So I said, Kirk, you know, what is your side of the story on this? And and we talked about it and, and he explained that he has a, a relationship with Dominic Riola. They know each other. They've talked you know, plenty of times before and that they were having a conversation about Dylan's recruitment. Now, Kirk is quick to point out that he is not someone who follows a lot of the day-to-day of recruiting. So the part I'm not so sure is is quite accurate from Dom's retelling of the story, is the you know Kirk finds out that that Dylan is considering the flip and and like call you know ask Dom to call right out of the blue to say go to Nebraska. That's not how it happened according to Kirk. Basically, they are talking kind of father to father. You know, Kirk's had a, a few sons play college football as well. He's got another son who's being looked at right now by some schools, and they're talking about the the whole process and basically according to Kirk Dom is asking hey you know how much should i talk about the possibility of if you go to nebraska you could be a program changer you could be a difference maker you could you could be the per, you know a legend if if you wind up helping bring this program back to where it wants to be and kirk who was complimentary of of Matt rule, the Nebraska coach and Kirby smart in, in this whole situation says, well, yeah, that, that would be cool. Like it would be cool if he could do that. And that's pretty much where it was, which is not the same thing as go to Nebraska. And here's the thing. Kirk Herbstreet understands his job. He understands his platform. He's not going to be dumb enough to be telling people Go to this school. Don't go to this school. It, it, it that would get out, and trust me, it would get back to the coaches, and he's got to deal with all of them. So I just don't. I think people are overreacting to this a little bit, but this is this is what happens. And you know, it, it's interesting because you you're in these jobs, and you think, oh well, I want to be as big as it gets. I'm not sure I'd want to be as big as Kirk Herbstreit in terms of how much every word I say gets parsed, you, you guys watch me. So you know how many words come out of my mouth on a daily basis. And I don't, I don't think I could handle having every single word out of my mouth get parsed like this. Like you saw the Florida state thing with Kirk Herbstreit where they're convinced that he's part of this grand, massive conspiracy. When he gave an opinion, which is his job. That he thought Alabama was a better candidate for the playoff than Florida State. Like that is his job to give that opinion. But everybody thinks that that he's moving markets with everything he says. And the thing about it is, it's kind of true. When Kirk says something that is of interest, it gets aggregated by everybody, including us at on three. And it takes on a life of its own. And this is one that uh, he didn't say, it. this is, Dominic Riola said it, but it took on a life of its own. But if you're a Georgia fan and you're mad at Kirk streak because you think that he told Dylan Riola or told Dylan Raiola's dad that Dylan should go to Nebraska, that's not how it happened. He said basically that Dominic Riola should share that that piece of his opinion of Dominic Raiola's opinion with his son, which I think is, it's an absolutely legitimate thing. Yes, Dominic Raiola should talk about what it would mean if Dylan goes to Nebraska and what it would mean if Dylan goes to Georgia and how different those situations are because they are different. Like that's not breaking news. Like the next quarterback who leads Georgia to a national title will be the first one since Stetson Bennett did it twice to, you know, Three years ago and two years ago. So. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out like the quarterback who leads Nebraska back to national prominence is going to be a legend because that's the situation Nebraska is in. That doesn't have anything to do with a value judgment of Nebraska over Georgia. Those are just the particular situations that Nebraska is in and Georgia is in and Different players want different things. You know, some players want to be the guy who brought a team back. Some players want to play with the very best competition every day at practice. Like, those are the players who are picking Georgia right now. They want to compete every day with the best of the best because Georgia has the most talent right now. Nebraska, if you go there, you are probably dreaming of being part of the group that brings Nebraska back to being a national name program. So that's the thing you've got to consider. Right? This is a very nuanced conversation that two dads are having that gets boiled down to one sound bite from one interview. That's not exactly how it all happens so. Georgia fans, you're killing Kirk Kerb Street. I think you, you might be going a little too hard on it. Just relax. He didn't he didn't tell Dylan Riola to pick Nebraska instead of Georgia. He did tell Dylan Riola's dad to have that have that conversation. From UJLM95. So what did Kirk make the call in the first place? Remember, he didn't say your son stick with UGA. Because he knows the guy. And they're talking like you're allowed to talk to people. If you're in this business, I am allowed to call people and give my opinions to them. But I will tell you, there are a lot of situations where I know I cannot give a certain opinion or a definitive opinion. And Kirk Herbstreet is smart enough to know that as well. This is not necessarily the position. He didn't say Dylan should go to Nebraska or flip from Georgia. He just said the dad should talk to him. I, I mean, I don't the dad the dad providing all the information, the dad who's a Nebraska grad providing all the information. It's not that controversial. It really isn't. If you guys want to be mad about it, you you can be mad about it. But I'm telling you right now. It's not one of those things. But yeah, there are conversations. Like I have conversations sometimes. Here's, here's, here's an example. This happens not super frequently, but it's happened a few times. Talking to a young coach and their, their star is rising. It's like an assistant coach somewhere. And so suddenly they're trying to decide if they want to hire an agent or who they want to hire as an agent. And they'll, they'll say, okay, do you know all these guys? I say, yeah, I know all these guys. Who should I hire? I will never answer that question. Not even once. Because if it gets back to those guys and I said, hire this guy and not this guy, are they ever going to talk to me again? Of course not. So I'll just be up front. I'm like, I am not telling you that. <laughs> that is a decision you must make on your own. But these are, these are all people I like. These are all people I have relationships with. So you, you do your homework and make the best decision for you. And that's the kind of stuff you have to say when you're in situations like that. Chris Callahan in the chat. Pat McAfee is a bitter, bigger enemy to Georgia fans than Herschel. How? How? What did Pat McAfee ever do to Georgia? Seemed like they liked him quite a bit when he was on campus. Seemed like the, he was barking with them, and they were doing that where the train coming down the tracks thing. Like everybody seemed pretty happy. What? What did, what did Pat McAfee do to Georgia? What can he do to Georgia? He's a former punter who talks on television. <laughs> everybody's got their conspiracy theories it's a we you guys watch me listen to me enough so you know I love it when you say you hate that, that I hate your school and I'm just gonna say oh, yes of course you're right I hate your school I hate all of your schools every single one of them it's funny the Florida people probably say that more than anybody else I'm like I I got a degree there I met my wife there. Like. Ugh, I don't know. Chris says, Pat told Georgia fans to go to hell. Well, you tell, well, I mean, Georgia Tech people tell you that all the time. And Matt, Matt also says, Pat told Georgia fans to go to hell. Did you deserve it? Did you say something nasty to him? Because you guys have a habit of doing that. Oh. <sighs> Everybody's so sensitive these days. Speaking of Kirk Herbstreit, he is going to have a new castmate on ESPN's College Game Day. In the least surprising news ever, Nick Saban, fresh off his retirement, is joining the College Game Day cast. We knew this was coming. And I'm very excited because in the times that Nick Saban has done television, where he has explained what is going on on the field, It has been spectacular, absolutely spectacular. And I I always loved when he did his radio show because that was when he would get very in-depth on schematic type stuff that he wouldn't normally do in press conferences. And it felt like when he would go on TV, it was an even more enhanced version of that. So I cannot wait to hear him break stuff down on College that's That's must-see TV for me just because one thing about Nick Saban, and this is, I think, a reason why he was as good as he was as a coach, is he's great at taking what is a fairly complex concept or something that you've got to be kind of it really deep in the weeds to understand. And he makes it understandable to a very large group of people very quickly. And it's what great teachers do in general. They can They can take something and boil it down to its essence and tell you in a few sentences and make you understand, whereas somebody like me is gonna just keep talking and maybe you're never gonna get it. So I just, I can't wait. I think it's gonna be so much fun to get Nick Saban's takes on teams, schemes, coaching staffs. I I, I can't wait. Cause I, I don't think he's gonna hold back. I don't think he's gonna worry about, cause he's not trying to get back in the game. You know, sometimes you get, ex-coaches who are trying to get back in and they just they they bite their tongue a little bit i don't think nick saban's gonna do that i i think he's gonna be fascinating to watch on game day speaking of fascinating we have a fascinating conversation for you but first we're gonna talk about fanduel the super bowl's on sunday guys Fanduel wants me to give you my picks because i know you're dying to hear my picks in the Super Bowl but I got to be honest my picks are kind of awesome at least a couple of them but go to fanduel.com Staples and sign up you place a five dollar bet if you win that bet you get two hundred dollars in bonus bets fanduel.com Staples to sign up for that so they have tons of specials for the Super Bowl tons of different props there's one I've been telling you about over and over and in fact the the line on it has gone down since we started talking about it. I don't think it's because I started talking about it. I think it's just people are looking into the the history of the of the players involved and thinking, all right, this might happen. So I will give you my picks. First of all, right out of the gate, the game itself. Chiefs plus two and a half. I do think the 49ers probably on balance have a better collection of talent. Like Trent Williams is the best offensive tackle in the game. Uh, Fred Warner is the best linebacker in the game. Uh, Nick Bosa, well, I don't know. Is he the best pass rusher? He probably probably is the best pass rusher in the game. Christian McCaffrey, probably the best back in the game. Pacheco's pretty damn good too, though. But that said, you're going to give me points and Patrick Mahomes. I I do think I'm going to take the points and Patrick Mahomes. So I'll take Chiefs plus two and a half. The other one, any kicker to kick a 60 plus yard field goal. This started out at plus 4,000. This is down to plus 3,500. And as I keep pointing out, Harrison Butker, the chiefs kicker has hit a 62 yarder off of grass before I think in a dome, it is grass. It's a weird one at, at Allegiant stadium, because like I covered a PAC 12 championship game there, it was turf. And then the Raiders were playing a couple days later and it was grass so that they have a grass field. It's on the tray, like the one in Phoenix. So it, it goes out and gets sunlight and then they push it back in for the, for the NFL game. So it's on a grass field, which is not as reliable as of a kicking surface, but it's an indoor grass field. So I think Harrison Butker, if he gets put in that situation and look, this is a game where points might be at a premium because both these defenses are really good. So I'm going to say there's a chance of that one. The other one is one. This is just to kind of enhance your enjoyment of the game. I'm not saying put your life savings on this. I'm saying maybe sprinkle 10 bucks on this. Like any offensive lineman to score a touchdown plus 6,500. So you put 10 bucks on this thing. And if an offensive lineman scores a touchdown, you get to watch a fat guy TD for one, which we we all want to see, and you win $650. Is there a better night than that? Fat guy TDE and $650 for the 10 you put down? Come on. That's the way you handle it right there. So those are my picks. FanDuel.com slash staples. Make a $5 bet. Heck, you make a $5 bet if you win $200 in bonus bets for you. I can't wait, cannot wait. But I can't wait for you to see this too because Michael McCann, longtime friend, this is a guy who is one of my favorite people to read because he helps us understand something that if you did not go to law school, you might not understand, I I certainly didn't. And so now, especially with all of these cases involving the NCAA, involving athletes trying to be declared employees, it takes, a legal mind to explain some of this stuff. So Michael McCann from Sportico, my former coworker at Sports Illustrated, joined me to talk about Tennessee and Virginia versus the NCAA, the Dartmouth National Labor Relations Board case, and all of these other cases going on right now. Here's Michael. we are honored to be joined by someone who's going to make us all a lot smarter you have heard my amateur stupid legal analysis now we get a man who is the legal expert for sportico you can read him there and please do He is a professor of law at the university of new hampshire law school he is a visiting professor at harvard university which i hear is the harvard of cambridge massachusetts michael mccann how are we doing
1: doing great Andy. it's great to see you again you know, I, I remember our days together uh, working on a bunch of stories. So it's nice to reconnect with
0: you. So for those who don't know, Michael and I worked together at Sports Illustrated, and I would just pepper him with questions anytime there was a legal issue involving college sports. And he was getting very tired because he was dealing with the NFL stuff and, and Major <laughs> League Baseball legal stuff. And and see, I'm just sending in all this Byzantine stuff about the O'Bannon versus the NCAA trial. So you end up writing a book about that, though, right?
1: I did, yeah, and uh, I mean, I got to work with that on the book, but but the trial, the you, me, Stuart, I mean, a bunch of us were were involved with that coverage, and uh, those are some good days.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was fun in the courthouse watching Mark Emmert get grilled, and uh, but now it's your life is just being consumed by all this college stuff. I mean, I, I don't think there's room for any of the pro sports right now. I we got to ask you about all the things that are going on So i'll start i guess i'll just go chronologically basically we'll start with the most recent thing and that is the judge in the eastern district of tennessee in federal court denies a temporary restraining order that the tennessee and virginia ags had sought against the ncaa but this is a case involving the ncaa's nil rules but in the in the the order denying this temporary restraining order, the judge basically goes but the NCAA is going to lose the case yep. is that normal where a judge just says here's how I'm probably going to rule sometimes
1: judges are more subtle about that this one was pretty blunt and and maybe I think the judge knows that this is a case that the public is following closely and that he wanted to write it in a way that, that made it unambiguous how he feels and he's also telling the NCAA look you win this battle, but you're going to lose the war, so figure something else out. And uh, the, the sort of bluntness in which he wrote, that—that that is not super rare, but uncommon. And he left no doubt that he thinks NCAA restrictions on NIL in the context of using NIL to recruit is illegal under antitrust law. He didn't buy any of the NCAA's arguments. The only thing he bought was that money damages can later make up any damage uh so there's no irreparable harm but the core of the case he he clearly sided with tennessee
0: well and it's interesting because we've seen a lot of these cases and this is not necessarily a case where they have to hold a jury you know hold a trial hold a bench trial or anything like that so it's not like the o'bannon case where that took years and years there's a hearing next week how how long could it be before this judge says okay as i said before I'm going to declare these illegal. Now they're illegal.
1: Well, I think he'll probably signal how he feels while on the bench. So he'll probably give some sort of indication. But more more likely, in terms of the actual order, it will come in a written order. That could Mm -hmm. be written. It's up to him, but it could be written some days or weeks after the hearing. But I think it's going to be tough for him to walk back what he wrote in that order. to to sort of now suddenly say oh but now i see what the ncaa's argument he really just repudiated the ncaa's arguments Uh, didn't didn't to me leave much room for the ncaa to kind of come back in this game if you will
0: well and this is not a case where the ncaa can come up with some novel defense because they've been defending these things over and over and over again they would have if they had that that weapon in their holster they probably would have pulled it already right
1: yeah, I mean, this is. I, I think the NCAA I mean, look, look. They've had a tough patch, right? I mean, they they, they have not had a winner uh, in a while, and uh, other than the the, the Bully brothers case in Illinois, where they actually did get a win involving uh, the twin brothers who played in overtime elite, but that's the anomaly. The other cases have all have all been losers for them, and. It, it, you know, the, Andy, the big thing, if I were the NCAA, I'd be worried about, it's not as if it's sort of liberal judges are against you, conservative judges are with you, or vice versa. They're all against you. Yeah, like, this is like, I don't know who the audience is anymore. You know, so many things in law, you can kind of, you can predict, oh, that's a conservative mm-hmm. judge. That's a liberal judge. Right. Not anymore. This stuff. This is just like, they're all ganging up.
0: Yeah. And and we, we don't get too political on this show, but in this case, it, it is, germane to the subject and that was what i found interesting in the austin decision in the supreme court in that you had neil gorsuch maybe the second most conservative justice writing the majority opinion and then brett kavanaugh probably the most conservative justice writing the just blowtorch concurring opinion and you know i had spent all this time talking to athletic directors and and people you know in the business they thought the conservative folks were going to be the ones on their side and i always asked them i'm like you do realize you're you're trying to keep markets closed like they don't like that right yeah
1: i mean i think they thought and what does a conservative mean in this context i think the ncaa thought conservative means keep things the way they are right just kind yeah. of romanticize college sports that kind of describe it as from 1945 or whatever you know, some sort of the old days of the regatta, and you know this sort of romanticizing of college. the ju- the justices, at least in this context, are really libertarian, like you just said. They they find these rules so constraining. Justice Alito, I remember in the oral argument where he said, "It looks like I mean, he was paraphrasing someone else, but it looks like you you take the athlete, you use them up, they get hurt, then you cast them away." And I was like, "Once he said that," and then Justice Thomas yeah. saying, "Why don't why don't you cap?" Co- college coaches' contracts. Now, they, they there was actually already that would also case be illegal. That, that would <laughs> yeah. be illegal. But you know, you can see where his mind is at. And the the one justice who was actually sympathetic, I actually thought would have voted for the NCAA. I didn't expect 9-0, uh, Was Justice Breyer, who you know fairly progressive, uh, and, and he was actually uh, he was the one saying, "I'm worried about the court getting in here to change rules. If that, if that, if you got one vote at most, that's really tough."
0: Yeah. So, and but now since that, that case, and that's, I, I think it's interesting. I went back and read the the Gorsuch opinion the other day because it felt like for years, the NCAA was hanging on to a line from the television case back in 1984, which they also lost. It was, you know, University of Oklahoma and Georgia sued them to get the TV rights back from the NCAA. But there was a line in there that said that we, We want to protect amateur sports, and then Gorsuch just line by line took that out and said, This doesn't apply, you can't use this as a shield anymore.
1: Yeah, he he literally, well, you it's exactly what you just said, he just said, That's irrelevant here. That case was about TV contracts, it has no bearing on college athletes. And the NCAA would repeatedly use that language. And, And as you said, in a case that they lost, ironically, it was their best case and here the court said really just dismissed it quickly to say that's irrelevant this isn't about tv contracts between schools conferences in the ncaa and tv networks this is about compensation for college athletes in the austin case in the form of reimbursement for education related expenses so for for the court to just so quickly and swiftly dismiss it that had to be jarring for the ncaa i mean this is this was kind of a the last decade has been so rough for their for their legal team and I don't know where the window is for them. I think I think to, to Charlie Baker's credit, he's at least proposed something that tries to resolve, tries to separate sc- certain schools from others. That's I think that's smart. I don't know if it's going to have any traction uh, as we as the NCAA likes to say. It's a membership organization. We'll see what kind of suasion he has.
0: So let's head to New Hampshire, a place you know very well, uh, where the National Labor Relations Bo- Board Regional Director, I believe in in, in Boston, uh, declared Dartmouth basketball players, employees of Dartmouth University, which we we have a couple of these going on. There's a USC one going on out in California uh, involving Pac-12 and the NCAA. But I, I'm fascinated by this one, Michael, because like the Ivy's don't give athletic scholarships. So, how are these guys considered employees?
1: So, that, that, it's it's a great question. I know a lot of people have had it. The, the the regional director Laura Sachs said they're employees for several reasons because there's an exchange, and the exchange is basically by going to play basketball at Dartmouth. In exchange, you get to go to Dartmouth. You you're put into a preferential admissions pool.
0: Well, this this is the Aunt Becky. This is we we saw Aunt Becky serve hard time for this. <laughs> right. Like the, right. The, the, the preferential. <laughs> the preferential (laughs) admission part of it is is the value and uh, listen up in my ad and in my upstairs i have a a, an acceptance letter to princeton that would not exist if they didn't want me to play football there so like getting into this school is the is the compensation almost
1: i mean it's a big it's a huge part of
0: it right and not only that
1: you, you mentioned there's no athletic scholarships that could actually work in favor of them let's say there there's a Dartmouth basketball player who decides to quit after the first semester. That player stays at Dartmouth. They don't lose their aid because it's need-based financial aid. So they, if they're getting a full ride for need reasons, they continue to have their full ride and they graduate yeah. from Dartmouth, right? It's an elite, they only take 6% of applicants. So, and also the players noted that they also get various things. They get access to facilities, health training that they wouldn't otherwise get. They get sneakers, they get apparel, they get tickets there was a long line of a list of things that the players noted so the, the, the there is compensation in that form even if it's not an athletic scholarship at least that, that's what that's what the regional director found
0: and so you've got the usc case which i thought was interesting i was watching the coverage of that of that hearing and it was they, they bring in usc officials and say okay what are the rules governing the basketball players at usc and they, they would pretend that there were no rules that they're just guidelines but how much of the control aspect of it is is used because you, you you had a great paper and if you guys were really want to get into the weeds in the university of illinois uh, law review there's a great paper on how all of this came to be but how much of the the control by the entity is part of the test for is this an employee or not
1: Yeah, and and thank you for referencing the paper. It was was great to work with uh, Mark Edelman and John Holden on it. They were the co-authors. The control is a huge part of it, right? Because compare a college student, and we can all relate to this. When when we were in college, we had choice with what courses we're going to take, what we do with our time. And like an employer, a coach has tremendous control over an athlete's time. And what courses they can take even what majors they can pursue depending upon the coursework so uh, also traveling with the team i mean that's a big big part of it that in the middle of the semester when your classmates are taking midterms or turning in assignments you've got to travel across country for a game and miss class and and it really looks like athletics are prioritized over academics and i think we know that happens and that, that's something that judges find uh, very meaningful
0: so a lot of that paper and a lot of, of obviously all of this is is kind of leading toward if they're declared employees would they form a union could they get a collective bargaining agreement like the the pro sports have with their their ownership groups and I'm curious what are kind of the the the, the hurdles between this where they are now and actually having a CBA in college sports
1: yeah, so there are some hurdles. We, we don't know what the NLRB board is going to do with this. We know that in Northwestern, the football players initially won at the regional director level, but the board voted 5-0. There's a five-member board of D.C. that voted 5-0 mm-hmm. against them, and they, they were worried about disrupting labor relations in college sports because the, the NLRA, the, the federal law issue, only governs private employers. So the question is, what right. about public universities and they're governed by state laws and state laws are like all over the board on Mm -hmm. on this and that that that's a hurdle just the complexity of it another hurdle will be this will wind up in court this will wind up before a a u.s court of appeals and maybe the supreme court and that will take years to play out so this is not imminent and another hurdle will be you mentioned a union who's in the union how many unions are there are they employees of just the school or also are the are the conferences and the ncaa itself are they joint employers will there be cbas with all of them and and, you know this is something it was just you you might ask a question this is something we talked about in sports my sports law class yesterday you know if you're the football team do you want other athletes at your school in your union
0: absolutely Um, not
1: absolutely not. i I, I want to keep the value as high as possible and and how are players going to be paid does everyone get paid the same that doesn't you know the quarterback caleb williams shouldn't he get paid Uh, So there are these distribution questions and what is the composition of the bargaining unit? These are her. Now, they're not insurmountable, but I don't think we know the answers. And I suspect there's disagreement when we we take a more granular look at this. I think we'll start to see some uh, daylight that we don't yet see now.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the thing. And there's so many questions to be answered, but it does feel like there's some clarity coming in terms of they've got to change. The system, but uh, just for for those of us who are are not lawyers, what is the advantage of a CBA versus a situation where you have a group unilaterally imposing rules?
1: Yeah, and I know uh, Coach Rick patino suggested it was a tweet, but that that a conference yeah. should put in a salary cap. The, the 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 problem with that is that it will be subject to antitrust law, and if it's subject to antitrust law, a salary cap is price fixing, so it would be vulnerable yeah. to an antitrust challenge. In contrast, if there's a collective bargaining agreement, anything they come up with that relates to hours, wages, and other working conditions would be exempt from antitrust scrutiny. There's something called the non-statutory labor exemption. Very basically, it represents a group of Supreme Court cases that say in so many words, look, we want to incentivize management to bargain rules with unions. And Mm -hmm. as a result, when they do that, we take antitrust law and the risk of treble damages and all of the scary features of antitrust law off the board. So that's the advantage. You know, if all college athletes were employees in a union, college sports would be saved in the sense that they could just negotiate rules with their schools, conferences, and the NCAA. Of course, that's the world the NCAA doesn't want, but yet it's the one that might actually cure its headaches.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I wrote it in SI during the Northwestern case. I was like, there there will be a time when you beg them to unionize, and I, I they're still not begging them. But I I do feel like it's it might be their only shot because, yeah, like you said, if you have a collective bargaining agreement and someone were to try to sue, the court's just going to say, well, you guys agreed to this, yep. so go back to That's the it. table, go to arbitration. Like, no, you you've agreed to this.
1: It's the greatest defense, right? The other side agreed to this contractually, so you yeah. can't now argue over. It. And look, it, and I know so what we just described makes sense for like these top football programs and some top basketball programs for a lot of schools it, it, it's scary right because yeah. they're they're not making money or or they're you know if you look at their at least their accounting they're going to suggest we can't we can't have everyone be an employee we're not going to be able to afford it we're, so our revenue model is different so for those schools you know, they have to in a way it would be good for the top athletes to be employees at the, at the top schools because right. then you can distinguish them, right? You can say, okay, yeah. that kid is clearly an employee, but at our school, the, 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 you know, the swimmer, the field hockey player, the, uh, even the baseball player, that they're not really an employee in that context. But you know, it's tough to get there. And, and the NCAA, by fighting and fighting and fighting, you know, this is the problem playing defense all the time, right? We know prevent defense doesn't work. And that's what the NCAA has been playing, and it collapses eventually, as we know from sports.
0: And probably too late to hire a new offensive coordinator to to juice the system. So, right. it you know, and they're also out of money. I think at this point. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much. This has been very educational, and and I truly appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, you can get to you know covering the other sports eventually. But uh, but thank you for for keeping us educated here.
1: Well, Andy, thanks for having me. It's great to see you, and uh, let's do something again soon
0: yes sir that is Michael McCann he is awesome you know there's also awesome Johnny Broom the Auburn big man who is currently playing as Alabama right now uh Auburn trying to even that season series up because because Alabama beat them in Tuscaloosa but uh, we're we're talking a little college hoops every once in a while on the show and Johnny Broom if you have not watched him play yet this season go watch enjoy because this will be the only one we get to see him in college basketball and he's really good but now it is time for dear andy i'll throw it in from the chat but we're not going to answer it right now because it's coming 1982 boomer sooner says andy i'm making my one main oklahoma sooner road trip to ole miss i need restaurant recommendations Uh, do not worry do not worry You, you are not alone we talked with George Stoya III and Eddie Radosevich from Sooner Scoop yesterday, and several Sooner fans mentioned that they were planning to go to Oxford and uh, want some res- restaurant recommendations. So we will get to those. But first, a few a little bit bigger picture questions, and we'll start with one from Ethan. Is this the move? And this is a, he's referring to the news that came out on Tuesday that there's going to be a streaming service that is a joint venture between ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. So he says, is this the move that pushes quote-unquote conference realignment into quote-unquote super league consolidation? Doesn't this kind of make the SEC, ESPN, and the Big Ten, Fox, NBC, CBS relationships essentially nothing? Not nothing. But I will say, you caught me slipping, Ethan. My spidey, you know, cynical, conspiracy theory census should have gone off a little harder on Tuesday and they yours did because it is fascinating that that news comes out three days after the SEC and Big Ten commissioners say they're going to get together to form an advisory group, which we all know is going to essentially take over and reshape college sports. So yeah, this does really add some spice to it because ESPN and Fox are now in business together because one of the biggest things that kind of differentiated, especially with the sec and the big 10 being the power Two essentially right now is that the sec is only on ESPN or Disney properties. It'll be on ABC as well. And the big 10 is split across Fox, NBC and CBS. Now Fox is the biggest partner and has a huge stake In the big 10 because fox has a stake in the big 10 network and essentially is licensing these games to to these other networks so this adds a wrinkle to it 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 really does because they're selling this product where it's going to get you all of the sec and it's going to get you the biggest big 10 games it's going to get you the college football playoff assuming that the plan is still to sell the rest of the, the the next version of the playoff to ESPN. That is the plan right now. Again, that doesn't necessarily happen because they're still talking about what it's gonna be 2026 and beyond. And part of that also has to do with the SEC and the Big 10 teaming up to form their advisory group. So that does really add a layer to this where before you didn't see an easy path for the SEC and the Big 10 to work together in terms of a super league type situation like how would that actually work would would somebody need to leave i've said multiple times that if a super league were to actually form the most logical way to do it is teams leave their current conferences and coalesce as the super league but if the Big 10 and the SEC are on the same streaming service where the the two biggest investors in them which That's what Disney and Fox are. If they are together and all making money from the same pot. Well, by all means, there is a way to do that. There is now a path for those guys to really work together. And so I don't wanna get super conspiratorial on you, but that does strike me as very interesting that this, I mean, when you think about this product, and again, I said I said last night, I need to see the price point because I, I've got YouTube TV right now. It gives me all the sports that isn't on you know, exclusive to Amazon or Peacock or whatever, but I already have Peacock and Paramount Plus. So I don't really need NBC or CBS sports for anything. I've already got those things covered. And if I got rid of YouTube TV, and had something that gave me all the other sports channels I want if I could save significant money I'm gonna do that so if the majority of sports fans do this then yeah I think it's definitely a path because they're kind of in league with each other and in business with each other but I don't know that the majority of sports fans will do this because here's the thing we're not all alone in our houses Now, in my particular case, neither my wife nor my kids watch anything else that's on cable. Like, they don't care about HGTV. They don't care about Lifetime. They don't care about Bravo. Nobody in my house cares about any of those channels. Nobody watches the cable news channels. In other houses, it's not like that. You may have somebody who's a CNN fan or a Fox News fan or an MSNBC fan. You may have somebody who loves Bravo shows. You may have somebody who binge-watches HGTV all the time. Like, that's the the other piece of this is the rest of the consumer base that doesn't care about sports well sometimes they live with people who care about sports so it, it may not be as big of a a product and as as roaring a success as you might think at the outset because they do have to to win those people over as well and i don't know if you're going to If those people want those other products, then they're, they're probably going to pay for, for sling or for YouTube TV. If they just want the sports, which would be my situation and the price is right, then I'm feeling pretty good about switching over. So I will, I I would watch this one carefully and it's going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, Ferris in the chat says Sling costs $40, me $40 a month and gives me all the ESPN networks. Then I get streaming services on and off. So, and that's the thing. Are they gonna be able to beat the price? If they can, then yeah, ESPN and Fox have a really strong incentive to work together. But it is going to be very interesting to see how how well that product lands, what it's gonna cost, and yeah, does it allow the SEC and the Big 10 to work together more? Again, this is such a strange situation because when Kevin Warren was running the Big Ten, the idea of the SEC and the Big Ten working together seemed very far-fetched. Kevin Warren and, and Greg Sankey did not get along. but Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey do get along. and you know I if you're the ACC if you're the big 12, you're side eyeing this like crazy because yeah, all of it probably seems scary to you. Next question comes from D-Latch. If CFB college football consolidation happens, resulting in a super league with a much smaller number of teams, is it possible the day may come where playoff teams are selected based only on one loss records with no human voting, either rankings or committee? And that is a very interesting question. You would have to have a super league for that because the reason the NFL can do it, the NFL has very clearly defined rules for how you make the playoffs. You know, you 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 can win your division, and if you win your division, then you get automatically a home game. But if you are one of the non-division winners with the best record and you win the tiebreakers, you're you get a wild card spot. And so there are things they do to kind of massage it where if you were one of the best teams last year, they sprinkle in a couple tougher games. If you were one of the worst teams last year, they sprinkle in a couple easier games. But the reason it works is because the divisions are relatively equal or at least they're attempted to be made equal. And th- there are years where some divisions are better than others. I, I, the NFC North this year w- was pretty good. Um, you know, but, I'm sorry, the AFC North. Uh, but the effort is made to make them as equal as possible. The conferences are not equal, as we know. So you can't have objective criteria like that because the schedules are highly unequal. But if you had a 40 team Super League, say, and you divided it into, into four 10 team divisions or uh, eight five team divisions or however you wanted to do it, and the schedules were fairly equal and you had a wild card system where just in case your division was super tough, you didn't get shut out because you wound up in a tougher division than everywhere else, then yeah, you could do it. You could definitely do it. It, it would take that subjectivity out of it. Now, I would argue that the subjectivity in college football is a feature and not a bug, especially with a 12-team playoff, because the, the team that gets left out of the 12-team playoff doesn't really have a legitimate claim on the national title. Really, really doesn't. Most years, that's not going to be the case. But I do think if they get to that point, they could do that, but they'd have to divide it that way. And if you do that, you do take some of the regional... Flavor out of college football, but I would argue that realignment has already taken much of the regional flavor out of college football. The big 10 in 2024 will stretch from Piscataway, New Jersey to Los Angeles and up to Seattle and, and, you know, down, well, they haven't gone to the South yet, but give it time, (laughs) give it time. Actually, that brings me to my next question. This one is from Nick. How large of a domino will it be when Florida state leaves the ACC and will there be an Uber three after that? So I think Nick is saying we need to have another poll if that happens uh, and figure out what we're going to call the group. We're call, we've are we agreed on core four, by the way, for the time being. For as long as it's the SEC and the Big Ten are something different than the ACC and the Big 12, but the four of them are probably the ones that are going to be your top four. Like their champs will be your top four seeds in the 12-team playoff. We're going to call them the core four for now. That's, that's what you guys decided on Twitter. And that's, that's where we're going with that. But what would happen if Florida State got out of the ACC? And I think right now we're talking about a question of, it, of when and not if. It's going to happen. The question is, when is it going to happen? And the, there was an interesting Michael McCann's employer, Sportico, they had an interesting story last week about Florida State's search for private equity to help them buy their way out of the ACC I mean essentially and I think they're the way Florida State is approaching this is a little bit different like Clemson and North Carolina would also like out or or like a chance to get a better deal but they're not as aggressive and Florida State seems to be operating under the assumption that they are just going to try to to make the money or get the money that they need to buy their way out if it winds up being full price. Now, in real life, usually negotiations happen and you don't end up paying full price at this level of of money. But the ACC has a very vested interest in making sure it stays together. And if one gets out, they can all get out. So would it be a huge domino? Yes, it'll be a massive domino whenever it happens because if Florida State gets out, Clemson and North Carolina are probably gone too. Miami's probably gone too. And then, then you see what happens with the rest of it. You know, where do they, where does the rest fit in to the picture? What happens to the Big 12 as it becomes the last of the middle class? Like that is, there's a lot going on there. And again, I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm not sure. If you'd asked me this time last year, I would have said I'd probably what? I don't know, maybe 2030. I think it's going to be sooner than that. And so the, the date to keep in mind is August 15th. That would be the, the date for Florida state to announce that they are leaving the ACC and won't be in the ACC in 2025. You know, last year, August 15th came and went, they did not say they were leaving. So that's the withdrawal date. So keep an eye on, on that particular date. But, I do think it's it's a matter of when and not if. And it would be a very big domino because it would change quite a bit for everybody because it, it would free up. Now, the question is, would the SEC or the Big Ten immediately jump on whoever the big dogs in that league are that want to go? I don't know. I don't know. And it, it kind of depends on when it is because I do think the sec and the big ten are looking at this like okay we got a 16 team league in the sec 18 team league in the big ten want to see how running this works how this all works but i do think as the business model changes the idea of consolidating the biggest and best brands becomes a priority and if some of those brands happen to be available then they probably go for it. so we'll see what happens Related to that, we have a question from Patrick. Dear Andy, what do you see as the long-term future for the Hokies after a decade of mediocrity on the field, gaff after gaff off the field? Can a pat this passionate fan base reasonably believe it can perform as a consistent top twenty-five program under Brent Pry? Late-season results trended in a good direction, though clearly still lacking talent depth. And NIL has kept our more talented players like Strong, Delaney, and Tuton on the in the boat so far. Am I just grasping for any reason to believe again? That's part one of Patrick's question. We'll we'll answer that and then go to part two. I do think Virginia Tech ended the season on a nice little trajectory. I was very pleasantly surprised with the way Virginia Tech bounced back from a terrifically bad start last season. All right? Let's not forget how things started in Brent Prize year two, where they beat Old Dominion, which was better than losing to Old Dominion the year before, but Then they quickly lost to Purdue Rutgers and Marshall. And I remember watching that Marshall game and thinking, what is, where's this going here? Well, it got better. They ended the season seven and six beat up on Tulane in the bowl game. And I realized that was not the full strength Tulane, but what seemed to get better as the season went on, especially was Tyler Bowen, the offensive coordinator, just, understanding how really to use Kyron Drones at quarterback and really kind of finding his way as a play caller. You know, the thing about it is Bowen was not an experienced play caller. He'd worked at Penn State with Pry. He'd been the tight ends coach with Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So his situation was that he's coming in and, and doing something that's a little bit new. And it took a while. But I really did like the way they evolved offensively as the season went on. And and if you watch that bowl game, like they, uh, Tyler Bowen, Tebow, as they call him, was doing a heavy dose of keep calling the play that works, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of. So I am, uh, I am very intrigued to see where they go from here because, uh, as Patrick pointed out, their NIL did allow them to keep a lot of this roster together and, so I think I think it's gonna be fun. I, I'm excited to see where they go from here because I gotta I'm not gonna lie, I had my doubts in the middle of the season. I thought, oh, this this is not going well. This is gonna end very badly. And now I think there's a chance. Now it, it, look, it's it's one of those 50% of marriages end in divorce kind of things. Like all these jobs are hard, but I do think Brent Pry is growing as a head coach. You saw Tyler Bowen grow as an offensive coordinator, so I'm excited to see where they go from here. The rest of Patrick's question is a little more big picture. Finally, regarding the future of the ACC, is it easy to understand the brand, or or, sorry, excuse me, it is easy to understand the brand power of Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, and Miami, but where do schools like Virginia Tech and NC State stand? The passion for football is deep, the fan bases are great, and even the real lean years are few and far between, even compared to much larger, larger programs. the big 12 would be a pretty fun eventual landing place i'd love to have a sliver of hope for these schools to make it to the big time in the next round of realignment shenanigans i do appreciate you calling it realignment shenanigans that's excellent so the nc state thing's interesting because the in the north carolina legislature just basically passed a bill that north it kind of ties north carolina and nc state together and NC State is a very interesting football fan base to me because they're super passionate. They're not what you you think about when you think about a typical ACC fan base. And Virginia Tech's kind of the same boat. Like they're not the biggest fan bases in the world, but they are massively passionate. You look at those stadiums every Saturday, they're rocking, they're wild. I do think they'd be great additions. Like they they culturally I think would fit in the SEC very well. I just don't know if they would get the invite. And now if NC state's tied to North Carolina, we do know that the sec and the big 10 do both covet North Carolina. So if it's one of those where you have to take NC state to get North Carolina, I think both those leagues might be open to that conversation. Virginia tech. We, we you know, they've typically been tied to Virginia and, and, you know, Virginia helped them get into the ACC a few years ago. Virginia's one that I, I would imagine the big 10 feels like fits very well there. But the question is if, you're the people at Fox who help quote unquote help make a lot of decisions in the big 10. Now, are they a big enough football brand to, to want, like w- would Virginia and Virg- Virginia tech be big enough football brands to carry the amount that they would require? Because in that big super league, let's say, let's say you did it as a 45 team group or something like that. Are they going to command that level of money? And I think, the question becomes like, where, where do you draw the line? How big is that league? If that league ever happened, how big is that? Uh, would that league be? Would it be 36, 40, 44, would it be 48? We don't know. We don't know. And, and it's, it's one of those, I think the TV execs would, would pull the, I know it when I see it situation. Like there's the cut line. And that's the tricky part for a team like Virginia tech, a program like NC state. It's, they're, they're right there near the cut line. It's just a matter of where they decide to put it. That's the hard part. So I am, uh, the big picture in the ACC is really, really wild. Because if Florida State gets out, it sort of just opens Pandora's box. And with everything else changing, this might be the time to do it. Before we get to our, our sooner question, and it's a good one, the truth in the chat has a, has a food question. Random question, spicy wings or normal wings? No spice at all. See, here's my, I take issue with this question. Normal to me is spicy. Like Bland wings are not any kind of wings that I would seek out. Now, you could do like the Parmesan sauce or something like that, which is not necessarily spicy but I am looking for some sort of flavoring on my wings, even if it's a dry. I actually do like dry rub wings quite a bit. Those, those are, I don't want my wings dripping in sauce. I like them nicely tossed if the sauce is good, but I do enjoy a dry rub one. Uh, if you are ever in the state of Alabama, Mo's Original Barbecue is a chain in Alabama. They make great, they do, so they are brined, smoked, and fried wings and they are awesome and you get them with the dry rub on them and it's that's a hell of a meal so i i think i always go with spicy or some sort of flavor but probably spicy i like i like spicy food i i, I don't necessarily go you know full-on habanero but i want it on the spicier end of the scale all right next question comes from harry i am one of those sooner diehards planning a trip to Ole Miss. What are some good food options in oxford mississippi well you've got your chicken on a stick at the gas station ed orgeron was a big proponent of that i'm not kidding it's delicious you should have it but we'll give you some some other ideas Uh, there's a chef named john Currents who has built an empire in oxford he's got several restaurants there city groceries is the most famous that's your white tablecloth the shrimp and grits are probably the best thing on the menu it's great i would say go to snack bar though of the currents dinner spots snack bar is a little more laid back but the food is fantastic uh river my producer has a, predict- a picture of my lamb shank from snack no nope, nope, that's big bad breakfast also a current occurrence a place it's a lamb shank river it's not 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 biscuits um but we so we, we got the lamb shank there but they have a great bar great cocktail menu so that's a really cool place for a nice chill dinner uh, if it's harder, if you're there, there's the lamb shank, it's harder if you're there on a Friday night because everything is, is just mobbed, but snack bar is off the square. So it, it could be less mobbed. now, right next to snack bar. Now you bring up the biscuits now, river, uh, right next to snack bar is big, bad breakfast, which is another current's place. Those are biscuits and tomato gravy. I highly recommend those. That's just a great breakfast spot. They, they have one in Birmingham as well but the original is in Oxford, and it's a spectacular way to start your day. Outside of that group, Ajax Diner. Ajax Diner's on the square. It is probably the best example of a meat and three. If you're Southern, you know exactly what a meat and three is. That's, you get one meat and then three vegetables. So the photo that River's showing is the last time I went to Ajax Diner, I was with my buddy Ari Wasserman. We we both got the, the country fried steak sandwich. And so it comes with mashed potatoes on the sandwich, big old hunk of country fried steak, and I got—I think it was—I think I had turnip greens that day. Uh, so turnip greens, black-eyed peas, and butter beans, and it was awesome, just awesome. And I—I'm—I'm a, I'm a big fan of the meat and three. I, sometimes I'll even go veggie plate at the meat and three, where you just pick out four different sides. And, and look, we use the term vegetable loosely because all the vegetables have meat in them too, but. Ajax Diners, spectacular. Also, if you want to go to a little out-of-town Taylor Grocery for some fish. So lots of great options in Oxford. If you're going to Oxford, you're probably going through Memphis. If you want to make a side trip to Mason, Tennessee, the original Gus's Fried Chicken is in Mason, Tennessee. It is awesome. The first time I went there, the guy said, listen, we're only selling eight pieces right now. I said, then I will take an eight piece. And I housed. That eight piece, it was tremendous. So do that too. But I like this. We, we we probably need to throw one of these in pretty much every week. We got we got fans that are coming to new leagues. So you got fans that are that are. Big Ten is expanding by four teams. So you're going to be going to LA. You're going to be going to Eugene, to Seattle, and then obviously those people are going to be going to Columbus and State College and Ann Arbor, and they're going to want to know where to go. Same thing in the SEC, Texas fans, Oklahoma fans want to know where to go in their new places. And obviously the the old line SEC people want to go to Norman and Austin. Where Where do we go there? I've been to most of these places. I have a list. I have a list. So this may become a regular weekly feature. Last question though, from Mitch, is the CW planning to expand ACC coverage in the future? No, that, so the CW if you read the most recent Florida state versus the ACC salvo, and this is the one where Florida state is suing the ACC in Florida, not the one where the ACC is suing Florida state in North Carolina. Uh, they mentioned, they mentioned the, the Raycom deal. Raycom was the, the, service that televised a lot of the acc's games for years and years and years and years it was a sweetheart deal uh, john swafford the former commissioner his son worked there and florida state you know accuses it of just being like a, a carve out sweetheart thing that that actually cost acc schools money but what the cw thing is is the remnants of that where there were these games that were sub-licensed off of you know by ESPN and a lot of it is ESPN doesn't have bandwidth to, to show every single one so they sub license this package of games now and so they sub license these to the CW starting last year which really expanded the reach of those particular games and there's some really interesting like it was a bad deal to be a touchdown favorite in some of those games my guy James Bates on the call he got some crazy games uh so Pitt was a six-and-a-half-point favorite and lost in Cincinnati. Louisville was a touchdown favorite. Remember, right after they beat Notre Dame, they went and lost to Pitt. Clemson was a nine-and-a-half-point favorite when it lost to NC State on the CW. And the biggie was North Carolina was a 24-point favorite when it lost to Virginia on the CW. So it's a limited menu on the old CW, but man, they got some interesting games. I don't, I don't know what it is. But when you, get, when you get thrown to the CW, my guy, James Bates, anything can happen. We do love your questions. They are tremendous. So we'll get those restaurant guides going. Keep asking about that. Obviously, the sport is changing faster than we can even keep track. So keep asking those great questions. Programming note. We've mentioned this earlier this week, but in case you missed it, starting next week we will begin broadcasting monday through friday 8 to 9 a.m eastern time so we're switching from we were sunday through thursday 8 to 9 p.m eastern time we are now monday through friday 8 to 9 a.m eastern time the podcast version if you're a podcast listener will be up immediately after that so come join us with your coffee in the morning if you're on the west coast watch sunrise with us Love it. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.